But Paceline is supported by LEL Cycling. The coast is calling. LEL Shore Collection embodies the spirit and style of the California coast. All LEL products are crafted right here in Southern California for shipment worldwide. Now on to the show. This time on the Paceline, we figure out how to save a ride and save our heads. You're half an hour from home, meaning you drove somewhere, and you're about to start a ride when you discover you forgot your helmet. What do you do? The options were ride helmetless, go back for your helmet, forget the whole thing, or buy a new helmet. Patrick is at Interbike scoring interviews, one with the author of a book on gravel racing and adventure cycling. The vibe is just really cool. It's kind of like the early days of mountain biking, I'm told. Um, but I, I've never had a bad experience at a gravel event, whether it was a race or a ride. Um, and so I just want to share the love. Line, the podcast on two wheels. Hottie and Fatty here on the mic with some interviews and hobnobbing from Patrick, who's at Interbike this week. This is show number 85 of the official podcast of Red Kite Prayer. And of course, if you haven't already, rate, review, subscribe, find us on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. This week, how, uh, the riding in Utah is so fantastic, Hottie. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what it's like in your neck of the woods, but all I want to do right now is just be on my mountain bike and ride. Mm. Uh, the weather has turned uh, a little fall-like here. Now, L.A. gets a knock for not having any seasons other than summer and summer. <laughs> but we do have temperature swings, and it has. We're, we've been seasonably cool um, for this time of year, but you know, we don't get the nice changing of the leaves and the crisp air that you might be feeling right now you're at like four thousand feet though right i mean so you're going to immediately feel any change oh yeah i'm actually i live right at five thousand feet and it, the aspens haven't changed yet but the uh the oaks the maples they're starting to change and oh it's just beautiful and you start getting the little carpet of uh red and yellow and brown leaves on the forest floor I tell you what, man, single track in autumn, there's nothing that quite compares. And you have all that fitness, right? All this leftover fitness? Oh, that just that's already gone, man. Oh, I, <laughs> I'm right back to being the fat cyclist. Oh. Uh, it, it's amazing how fast my body wants to go into hibernate mode. It's, uh, I am perfectly fine to do a short ride, a big dinner, and then a long nap. Mm. I am... Oh, man, the laziness. It, it has hit me hard and fast this year. Uh, my brain uh, subconsciously communicated to my body that racing season is over. How about you? Um, yeah, my my brain did that uh, in the middle of the Leadville Trail 100. It said, uh, you're done. <laughs> it's over. I was like, okay, very good. But uh, I'll probably fire up a few fall events. Nothing... Uh, Nothing where I'm gonna expect a lot, but certainly mm-hmm. go out and have a good time at some stuff. So it's a good, good uh, gravel event up in Ojai that I did last year, and uh, so there'll be some stuff. Maybe a cross race uh, near the end of the cross season or two. Oh, I'm terrified of cross. I know I'm the last cyclist in America to not pick up uh, cross as the second thing that I do or the number one thing that I do. But I tell you what, I am just I am so inflexible. I I need to uh I need to do some serious stretching before I do any jumping on a bike. <laughs> it's getting on a bike is a slow and laborious process. And the the other thing I did do um and I heard you talking about this in the spring I think is I bought a pair of running shoes, running mm-hmm. shorts and a running shirt. So something may happen. I'm not certain what, but yeah. I I may try to clog along through a tra- over a trail or down some pavement at some point you know uh the hammer and i have been doing trail running uh twice a week 
And I mean, we're very consciously limiting our running to just twice a week, six mile trail run each time. And I really enjoy it. Um, you, you get to know the trail, uh, in a slightly different way. Um, and what I'm actually really enjoying is this time of year here in Utah, there's a lot of, uh, NICA kids on the, on the trail and they're there for, you know, practicing on mountain biking and their coaches drill into their heads so well, the courtesy and, uh, etiquette of uh, of yielding to other people and it is such a pleasure to see i really do believe that interaction between cyclists and uh riders on horses and motorcycles and pedestrians is going to be a quantum leap better in the next generation because these are the kids who have it burned into their brains to say hi and to yield and to be friendly to everyone on the on the trails, and I'm, I'm I really do think that this is going to make a big difference for how mountain bikers are perceived, uh, mm-hmm. you know, ten years from now. Mm-hmm. So, something to look forward to for sure. Mm-hmm. So, I got a very important question for you, Hadi. You do. <laughs> this is a, a very important question that I asked on Twitter uh, last week, and we meant, uh, mentioned it in this podcast. And this we this means we are now officially in our very important question segment where each week on the pace line we conduct very important research into cycling culture and writing techniques the question last week was you're half an hour from home meaning you drove somewhere and you're about to start a ride when you discover you forgot your helmet what do you do the options were ride helmetless go back for your helmet forget the whole thing or buy a new helmet out of those four options, Hadi, which would you choose? Well, I'm going to do all that I can uh, not to buy a new helmet. I want to eliminate option, I think it was D, Yep. Uh, right away. Okay. Um, and then I, I, the other one I'm going to eliminate right off the bat is ride helmetless. Um, just a big no-no for me. I just don't, you know, I, you will so rarely see me even put my leg over a bike without a helmet on do i once in a while i'll ride down the street here as i may be testing a new chain or something like that and ride back Hmm. to my driveway as i'm pulling the bike in and out of the work stand but that's the that's the extent of my helmetless riding uh anymore and maybe there's a lot of it's because i live in la and just there's just danger around every corner here when you you know go out on your two-wheeled machine so i'm going to opt for uh turning around go back for your helmet yeah, get and get the helmet, um, mm-hmm. um, or just or blowing it off. It depends on the ride, how important the ride is. If it's an important ride and you know really want to get it, and I'm probably going to turn around and, and go get it a half hour. So it's an hour, right? We're talking about losing an hour. Well, sure. if I planned on doing a five hour ride, it's a four hour ride. That's yeah. the, you know in the end it'll be a four hour ride. So likely what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn around. Yep, yep. Um, that would make you very much like. of the people who replied. The most popular reply was 35% of the people, 711 votes here, by the way. This is not a trivial number of votes. Out of 711 people who replied, 35% of them said that they would ride helmetless. 30%, like you, said they would go back for their helmet. 11% said, ah, just forget the whole thing. And this is the real surprise for me. 24% said I would uh, hope I, I would look for a bike shop and hopefully buy a new helmet. Mm-hmm. So try to triage the race or try to triage the ride that way. And there were some real interesting replies in this, uh, in this, you know, people who replied to the poll. And I wanted to read a few of them to you because I thought there were some really good replies. Um, James said, it depends if the ride is mountain bike or road. If it's mountain bike, go back or scrap the ride and go find a beer. If it's road and not in a group, I'd probably ride carefully. And I got to say, the worst wreck I have ever witnessed uh, with someone that I was, I mean, someone that I was with was on the road with someone who didn't have a helmet 
and basically scraped his scalp off. So Ooh. I'm not in necessarily agreement with that, but, you know, so that's what he said. Uh, other people were also asking road or mountain bike. And, you know, of course, I phrased the poll in such a way as to carefully not say whether it was road or mountain bike because that choice is up to you. Um, this was an interesting reply uh, to me. Jeff replied, I always keep a spare helmet and shoes in my car. I would use them. And Jeff, in this case, is exactly like me. I keep in my truck, um, in my vehicle, I have an old helmet and a pair of mountain biking shoes. So I am going to be okay at least for a mountain bike ride if I neglect to bring my mountain biking shoes or uh, or a helmet. Mm-hmm. So I, I keep a spare. Um, Kay said, I'd go back for my helmet but probably end up doing a different ride closer to home. Yep. And I think that's probably a pretty, pretty reasonable and a normal, uh, no, normal reaction. I, I think most of us are, uh, are so used to riding with a helmet and have had it drilled into our heads enough that you'd need to ride with a helmet that most of us would probably – we have a fixed amount of time and you try to keep the, you know, keep the amount of wasted time as little as possible. Um, and then Clifford said, I'd go back home and get the helmet and live to ride another day. Huh. Um, and someone uh, with the name Nospmus, which I believe is uh, Simpson, spelled backwards, said, a helmet saved me from an outcome of being a vegetable at best, according to doctors. I haven't ridden without one since. And Rohit Berry, who we have talked about more than once, said, I'd buy a new one. It's amazing how many times I wish I had two helmets anyway. Hmm. Which brings up a question. How many helmets do you have, Hottie? Yeah, exactly why I eliminated option D, buy a new helmet, is because I have too many already. I mean, (laughs) I can't. Let's see if I can even... It's easier for me to count my bikes than it is my helmets. Really? That yeah. many? <laughs> Some of my helmets are... And I, I, I'm reluctant to throw things away, too. I mean, yeah. they're just kind of sitting around here. They probably should be thrown away, but, like, I have two Pox. I have two Abus helmets. I have a laser. I have a cask. I have a Giro. I know I'm missing something, too. Yeah. My wife's head is the same size as mine, so I could technically wear her helmet. That's eight. I, I know I'm missing some. There's there's another one. Oh, I have two two older specialized uh, decibels or something like that. So that's ten. And you I have enough helmets one. to outfit a pro cycling team. <laughs> yeah. So I have ten helmets that essentially, I mean, there some of them are aging or oldish and probably yeah. shouldn't be worn much, but they could still be used. Ten of them. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you don't you don't need to add another one to the pile. I have three helmets that are in service. I'm intentionally just leaving aside the ones that uh, are no longer great. You know, ones where the straps are starting to tear out a little bit, or where it's just like, yeah, you know, I've crashed on this one and I can't see anything wrong with it, but I haven't thrown it away yet. Um, the number of helmets that in the cycling universe that have not been discarded but should be is probably something like two times the number of helmets that are actually in service (laughs) based on what you and I are saying. Um, So, yeah. So, Rowett, it sounds like you could borrow a a helmet or five from Hottie (laughs) if you would like. (laughs) Or maybe you could open up an eBay store. Uh, so let's get on to this week's very important question. And I will say that while I've already posted this one, and uh, I am surprised at how many answers and uh, verbatim replies have already popped up on this. What is the appropriate role of earbuds in cycling? Four options here. Rock on, meaning you love them and listen to them loud. Second option, one butt in. One beer, one ear free. No, not one beer free. Totally different type of question. Third option, okay for mountain bike, but not for road. Or the fourth option, just say no. And I'm, do you have a prediction on which one is going to be the runaway winner on this one, Hottie? You think there is going to be one? I'm going to say um, one ear only. 
I think so. Okay. Yeah. That's that's what I do when I am riding on the road or when I am uh, doing a long climb. Um, I, I I listen to a lot of podcasts, believe it or not. Me too. And, and not so much music anymore um, because I'm old and crotchety. But um, yeah, I, I, I love listening to, uh, to podcasts while I'm riding. So um, I think that you are going to be wrong, though. I think that it's going to be that there are going to be a preponderance of people who are saying no to to this. Do-gooders. Do-gooders, people who are ready to keep us all safe. Mm. All right. Well, you'll find the poll for in the show notes for this episode, as well as tweeted from me from Fat Cyclist, at Fat Cyclist, and at Red Kite Prayer Twitter feed. So tell us your answer. We'll talk about it in the next episode of this podcast. So... Let's move on to Interbike, where yeah. we have uh, we have Patrick standing by <laughs> and ready to tell us about how things are going there. Yeah, a little assist on this. Uh, so Interbike, when they open, uh, the journalists gather outside the convention floor, anxiously waiting to jump in and start uh, meandering around and making appointments. And so Patrick... Uh, Took a little few minutes just before he went into the show for the first day. This is the convention show. He'd already been up at the outdoor demo. So this is just outside the the convention itself as he was about to go into the show. Good morning, Pace Liners. This is Patrick Brady in Las Vegas outside the Interbike Trade Show where we are watching what seems to be the final dying throes of the once great trade show for the bicycle industry. The outdoor demo was a lovely one-third of its traditional size and I'm told what I'm about to see is a trade show floor that is only two-thirds the size of what it once was and a lot of what I will see I'm not even all that interested in seeing. Bike brands I've never heard of like Pardis will be there and brands that I've traditionally had meetings with like Giro Bell and Blackburn won't be there. This is a new world, one that perhaps is not so brave uh, and is, well, for my part, rather frustrating. So, in we go. Enjoy. And in he I, went. <laughs> I don't think that they're going to hire Patrick for the Interbike marketing team. No, I think, uh, I think Justin Gottlieb, who's the head of... Uh, Media relations there now. Good guy, by the way. His job is safe for the time being. Um, but, I mean, look, Patrick's job is to scrutinize and yeah. point out what he sees um, as whether it be deficient or good about anything, product or show or service. I mean, that's his job. And so we thank him for his for being candid. He's yeah. not the first to say this about Interbike. He and I both heard it last year as we were circulating through the show. Uh, a lot of this has to do, I'm sure, with the fact that this is the last year in Las Vegas. Folks might be taking a year off um, and saying, look, we'll, we'll see you in Reno, which is where the show will be moving to. Um, do you think they'll be saying see you in Reno or will it be more of a wait and see with Reno? Well, um, I think they'll say see you in Reno. I mean, the, look, the big dogs have no reason to be at any show, no matter where it is, unless they parked it in their parking lot. Like, I'm talking about uh, Specialized and Trek and Giant to a certain extent. Uh, these companies don't have to be at the show because they, they run dealerships. They run, you know, they run exclusive stores that they, they don't need to spread their brand to to folks that don't aren't aren't current dealers, um, yeah. they have no reason to do that. They bring their dealers in, they bring their people in to to shows or to camps and what have you, show off their product, do all their business there as far as getting dealers to commit to bikes and what have you. So they don't have to be there. It comes down to those those mid level companies or the startups, or I would think clothing companies would have a vested interest in a strong and happening interbike because. For the most part, you know, dealers are free to roam about with clothing. You know, they can choose one or the other. They can add a line if they want to, uh, get rid of one. So I would think clothing companies would be very aggressive with Interbike. Um, you know, but the years that I've been there, it's been more hard goods. You know, tires mm -hmm. and wheels and bikes and so forth. So 
Um, and some of that's got to be expense too. But it's funny though. I mean, clothing's where where the margin is too. Where bike shops can make some money. So um, yeah, you know, it'll be interesting to see. Reno's going to be an interesting uh, attendance list to see how many folks sign up and show up and and be there. Now you've been to Interbike several times. Have mm-hmm. you ever not had a great experience there? I've only been once, and it was just you know, I it was like I had died and gone to heaven. But that right. was, you know, that was a decade ago. Yeah, it's like the world's biggest bike shop. I mean, suddenly mm. you're roaming around, and even if your favorite brand is not there, some other brand will be. You know, yeah. Oh, For yeah, me, it, mean- it, favorite brand is not why I would go anyway. I I, I know all about my favorite brands, uh-huh. right? It, it's the discovery of new stuff, different stuff, weird stuff, even. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, interbike is all what you mean. It's kind of like a group ride. You know, <laughs> if you want the group ride to be hard and it's not going hard enough, well, go to the front, take a pull. I mean, <laughs> interbike's kind of that way too. Go seek something out. Go hang with somebody you, you know or you like, or you're going to find something there. You might might just be a little harder at this point. You know, the they're not going to serve it up to you on a platter. You might have to go digging around for it a little bit more. Yeah, um, yeah. That's what I've always found. But I don't have the perspective that Patrick does. He's he has a lot more longevity there and and saw the show in its heyday, saw it grow to something. You know, it started out small and grew to something very big and extravagant and everyone was there and no one missed it and stars were out too. You get pro bike riders there. Um, and now it's, you know, it's seeing some drop-off, certainly seeing some drop-off in attendance. I mean, outdoor demo, uh, according to Patrick's entries on RKP, just – yeah, sounds Smallish. like um, yeah, sounds like uh, there was like half as many people there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and to be honest, uh, the outdoor demo is a bit. I mean, it's out in Bootleg Canyon. It's a like an hour bus ride from the strip. Oh yeah. So I think for some people, it's like eh, gotta go out there. It's you know the riding isn't that great out there. So I, I could see where after a while because the. The outdoor demo was is a newish thing for Interbike. It hasn't always been there. They added it, and so for a while it did quite well. But I think people now, are, you know, maybe a little tired of going out to bootleg and and hanging out there. And they can they can take care of all their business inside at the convention center. So they'd rather go to see a show on Monday or Tuesday and hang out, drink. All right. Well, next year you and I go, and uh, I'm going to take you up on your offer to let you take a poll. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to draft on your yes. Interbikeness. I'll be happy to rip you around. <laughs> Fantastic. You know, all of this said, of course, uh, Patrick has uh, put a mic in front of a few folks' face, including uh, Chris Holmes, the marketing manager at Marin. Um, Marin, right? Marin. Which is Marin it? Bikes, yeah. I, I am 90% un- – I, I, I say the wrong way 90% of the time. <laughs> I don't know why. <sighs> I should not be in radio. Uh, so <laughs> let's go ahead and listen to that. He's talking about actually a kid's bike that uh, has him interested. Okay, so I'm here with Chris Holmes of Marin Bicycles. Chris, you're marketing director, uh, which means that you're the guy who knows everything about everything at Marin, correct? (laughs) Well, that's what they pay me for, so I do my best, yes. The reason I wanted to talk with you is, while I've been a big fan of Marin bikes for a long time, you showed me a bike yesterday that kind of blew my mind, the Hawk Hill Junior. So, mountain bikes for kids, that's becoming a thing. companies are actually making investment in producing models for kids uh, but we're not seeing a lot of stuff that has much in the way of technology and is still remotely affordable so walk us through the Hawk Hill Jr. Okay so the Hawk Hill Jr. is a new version of our Hawk Hill line which we introduced last year. Uh, the Hawk Hill is an aluminum framed full suspension bike with 120 millimeters of travel front and rear. Um, they are uh, they have nice long low and slack geometries as you'd expect with a uh, modern trail bike and uh, it's been uh, you know well specced with hydraulic disc brakes a wide range one by drivetrain 27 millimeter inner with tubeless compatible rims uh, air suspension front and rear ability to uh, add a stealth dropper post so it's got uh, the, the drilling already for it you can just pop out some plugs and run a dropper post if you want to and uh, really the bike is just made for fun it's made for someone who is looking to go out on the trail you know someone who might be new to mountain biking someone who might be new to full suspension mountain bikes Um, offer again a wide number of different offerings in the hawk hill including the all-new junior Uh, so 
Uh, 24 inch wheels. Uh, talk to me about what sort of age range, age range you guys anticipate this will be appropriate to. Uh, age range, I mean, it's obviously going to be based on the height of your kid, but in general, like the 8 to 11 year old is pretty much the sweet spot for 24 inch wheels. But one of the downsides with 24 inch wheels is that kids grow out of those bikes pretty quickly. That's around the time they really start to go through some pretty serious serious growth spurts so sure. you know a lot of parents are hesitant to spend you know a decent amount of money on a 24 inch wheel mountain bike even if they have a, a little ripper kid um, but one of the best things about this Hawk Hill Jr. is it does have the ability to, to run 26 inch wheels so um, mom or dad has a pair of some 26 inch wheels which are now archaic with mountain bikes hanging, <laughs> hanging up in the garage and maybe they have some sweet you know Chris King hubs or something um, as the uh, the Grom grows up and starts needing a, a larger bike, it's a really easy swap to put on the larger wheels. Now the fork has a 15 millimeter through axle, and the rear is a is either a 135 uh, with QR, or it's also compatible to a 142 by 12 using uh, a relatively unique dropout system we have. Wow! So, so adaptable. So depending on what you've got. Yeah. Like, okay. you know, my, my last 26-inch wheel mountain bike had a 15-millimeter through-axle rear and a 135 open dropout in the back, so I could have easily popped, you know, those wheels into this bike. I had a little set of XTs hanging around. You know, if someone is coming with a little bit more of a contemporary rear hub setup with a 142 by 12 yeah. again, an easy upgrade. That's really cool. Uh, okay, and suggested retail on the Hawk Hill Jr.? Uh, $1,500. Nice. Yeah, I... I really dig this bike. I can see my sons uh, doing this and to know that they can both move through it uh, and ride it for a couple of years, that's pretty attractive. Yeah, that was our whole goal. You know, just get a, a new generation of riders out there and having fun on a quality bike. Um, you know, a bike that, again, with the air suspension is easily tuned to their weight, which is a big thing. A lot of bikes in these price categories, you'll find them with uh, the lightest spring in the fork, but it may not be light enough. Or again, as a kid grows, all of a sudden the spring is a little bit too much. Right. You know, it's a lot easier to uh, bust out a shock pump than to change out coil springs. Yeah, yeah. The ride quality is so much better. Um, and just the, the fact that you can swap out the wheels, it really kind of blows my mind. I mean, I've been playing with that with plus wheels and 29er wheels, you know, but that circumference is pretty much the same. It's just a difference in traction for the most part. Maybe acceleration too. But that you could actually, you know, keep somebody on this bike longer as they're growing. I really dig that. <laughs> nice. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you appreciate it and uh, hope to see your kids on them someday soon. I'd like that. And I bet they would too. <laughs> cool. Chris, thanks loads. All right. Thanks, Patrick. And so that was uh, Chris Holmes with Patrick Brady. Chris Holmes is the uh, marketing director with Marin bikes uh one other <laughs> note there about bootleg canyon we were just talking about the outdoor demo it's also very windy there fatty as you can probably tell uh via patrick's recording it it's a <laughs> gas up there at times so oh yeah yeah what do you think are the odds that we're going to be hearing about uh about his kids on those bikes well uh i think there are very good odds and, <laughs> and rkp look you know it's a site that encourages not just adults to ride bikes but kids too and patrick's he's done some you know some nice review on, on kids bikes and and kept an eye on that market but yeah he's got two shredders he wants to see them he wants to see them rolling in annadale park or on the local pump track and i'm yeah. sure a marin would do the job and as long as they could write you know 500 a thousand words on the bike hey they're good to go <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Just make those kids do the actual review. <laughs> no, I think it's fantastic that any bike company is uh, putting significant cycles, significant thinking into bikes that grow uh with your kids because uh, that's that's expensive as mm -hmm. a as a parent who has had to upgrade bikes more often than I would like uh due to children having the audacity to grow up. I totally get the the thinking behind that. It's good thinking. Yeah. And there are some uh, – while Patrick was talking a little bit about there being fewer of the traditional uh, sponsors or vendors at Interbike, you were telling me a little bit about some non-traditional uh, uh, vendors at the show. 
Yeah, uh, there is room on the floor, as we know, as Patrick has noted. I mean, you know, the, the convention floor is not as full as it w- once was. Uh, there are, you know, the bike product stuff is out there, but I, I've been keeping my eye from a distance on some of the coverage. And one thing that caught my eye was one attendee who's taken out a 10 by 20 foot booth, and that is eBay. eBay hmm. has a booth at Interbike. Uh, they're making a push to remind folks of their bicycle prowess. That is, before Amazon shoves them aside. Because Amazon, it seems to be in everyone's lives now. I mean, you buy so many things on Amazon. Uh, they have purchased Whole Foods now, so groceries are going to be a, become a bigger part of Amazon. And of course, you can buy and find plenty of bicycle product on Amazon as well. But eBay wants to hold its ground. I mean, they, for a long time, have been a great place to find a bike product. A lot of it used, but they now have new stuff too that's right there with your searches. It shows up in your searches. So they have a booth at Interbike. Um, they are also a presenter at some of the seminars on e-commerce, and they're sponsoring some of the events at the show too. Hmm. Some interesting facts I read about eBay and cycling. There are 200,000 plus cycling-related searches on eBay every day in the U.S., there's also 800,000 cycling-related listings on eBay in the U.S. at any given time. Their top categories are bicycles and bicycle parts and components of all the categories they have in eBay. You know, as you do your eBay searches, you go to outdoor uh, products, and then you click down to bicycling, and then you have subcategories. Well, the two biggest subcategories are bicycles, whole bikes, and then bicycle parts and components. And they say those are pretty equal in size in the U.S., yeah. Used bicycle business represents about 60% of the total dollars in bicycle sales on eBay. They have 1.5 million active buyers in the cycling category, where the most active buyers in that category spend $2,000 a year. That's a pretty good change now, and it's no wonder they've they've shown up at Interbike. Uh, One of their big pushes now is to make a connection for folks who are trying to not only get rid of things but buy new things so they partnered up with bicycle blue book this is also something that the north american Hammy bike show has done uh, they've inserted a trade-in hub on site which allows buyers to get a trade-in value for their current bike and of course they can go around and spend more money on ebay uh, <laughs> buying other stuff so yeah ebay with a big presence uh, well, not a big one but making their presence at at interbike to remind folks that hey they're a bicycle outlet too just like a shop can be just like amazon can be it's ebay too yeah while you were talking just for fun i did a search on ebay uh just for the word bike guess how many results i got on ebay on ebay they would tell you they have what did i read there eight hundred thousand Eight hundred thousand oh. listings, and the number is much bigger, at least right at this moment. Yeah, and I don't know if this includes uh, expired or what have you, but just if you search on the word bike, one million one hundred sixty-seven thousand one hundred and twenty-five. Yeah, so that's so not far north off from of the, a million. Right, their figure is eight hundred thousand cycling-related listings. So you're probably getting some a uh, bike, probably gets you maybe sure. bike art or something like that too. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Well, awesome. I've sold bikes on eBay before. Probably will do it again. Me too. And um, not, not a bad way to go. One thing we have here locally, which has been a, a nice thing, um, is there's a local Facebook page where folks can do... In fact, I just sold something the other day on this page. And the nice thing about it is, so you you know, you same idea. You, you list your thing for sale. Um people contact you it's only like the la area though where this where this product is and you can do person-to-person exchanges you know it makes you pull out the middleman and ebay does take a fee every time you sell something and and you don't have to buy generally you can meet up with the person and then make the exchange in person you eliminate the shipping and all that other thing too so we've been using that here locally too but yep ebay is I have, I think I have four or five active searches right now where I get, you know, emails every day saying, oh, here's the latest on that thing you're interested in and, and all hmm. of it's bike related. Yeah, very interesting. I, I don't have any active searches, but uh, I do have a bike for sale on eBay right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Check it out, yeah. folks. Look for the 52-inch tarmac with uh, some very nice Envy wheels on it. Mm, Good deal. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cheap. Actually, not cheap, <laughs> but but it's a nice bike. Uh-huh. Um, tell you what, 
let's hear from another quick interview that uh, Patrick had with another uh, another person at Interbike. Mm-hmm. That would be uh, Nick, and I hope we get his last name right. Legan? 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 You're going with Legan? I'm going with Legan for right now. Okay. Uh, he wrote a cool book about a topic we're all interested in on the show, and uh, it's a growing segment in cycling, and that's, uh, of course, the Gravel Adventure Series. So here's Patrick with Nick. So, Nick, you're a published author now. Yeah, pretty excited. Um, I'm stoked. I'm actually a little envious A book all about gravel riding. I mean, I think you're the right guy to write it, but first, you know, tell us a little bit about the book. Sure. So it's a book that's meant to um, inspire cyclists of all ages, all experience levels, all interests, um, to take a, a serious look at riding on mixed surface, whether that's a you know, single track, dirt road, or gravel road. Because let's be honest, like paved roads aren't getting any safer for the moment. I think there might be a watershed there coming. We'll, we'll see. But um, more than anything, it's just pretty places to go ride a bike. And I think there's real potential there. The industry stood up and, and is making a lot of product with that in mind. Yep. And uh, and the vibe is just really cool. It's kind of like the early days of mountain biking, I'm told. Um, but I, I've i never had a bad experience at a gravel event, whether it was a race or a ride. Um, and so I just want to share the love. Very cool. So now, okay, first, the title is? Gravel Cycling, generically okay. enough. <laughs> Pretty straightforward. Yeah. Truth in advertising. Yeah. Now, how broad a range of the sport do you, uh, or this subsection of our sport, do you cover? I mean, does it go as far as bikepacking? Absolutely. In fact, the subtitle is The Complete Guide to Gravel Racing and Adventure Bikepacking, um, which is a lengthy subtitle. But again, truth in advertising. So yeah, I I talk in the book about you know everything from putting 28 millimeter tires on your road bike to three inch wide or fat bike tires for fat bike for bike packing okay so yeah it's a pretty broad range wow very cool uh so i may need to consult it before my next bike packing trip because i want to do one on my own please do you can also always call patrick you have my number (laughs) that's that's pretty funny um no cool so um it's published by velo press that's right um its official release is uh, Wednesday, so by the time people are hearing this, it will actually be out. Yep, and you can buy it at rambler.com, my personal blog. It's also available through VeloPress and a lot of other places on the interwebs. Okay, and so spell rambler.com because I know our readers would prefer to go directly to you. I appreciate that. It's R-A-M-B-L-E-U-R, kind of a Frenchified Rambler. I love that. I Thanks. really dig it. Yeah. And it's a really cool logo too, so. Thanks. Uh, they, they need to drop by at least to see that. Appreciate it. Okay, excellent. Thanks, man. Thank you. Again, it's Nick's a- book is um, Gravel Cycling, the complete guide to gravel racing and adventure bikepacking. And uh, yeah, I would love to get my hands on that thing too, Fatty, a uh, topic that we've been interested in here on the show and continues to draw interest. In fact, uh, my latest review bike, I'm on a review bike right now, is a gravel bike, yet again, mm-hmm. another machine that can do it all. So um, good to, good that a book is finally out there to help, especially the, the first timer. Because it is a little weird. I mean, some people might go, well, how do I get, how do I take a drop bar bike on the dirt? And is it okay? And yeah, it's all okay. Yeah, absolutely. And have you ever taken, have you done any bike packing proper, like stayed overnight or you've done more day racing day riding right i'm i'm the day racer only but the bike packing i can i find myself reading about looking at more videos interested in the bags and all that mm-hmm. more and more that is i feel that is in my future some type of overnighter to start off with maybe a couple of nights um it's actually a bike shop here in town that um, and they've been on the show too that every Wednesday they take, they close the shop and they go out for a night and they sleep out overnight somewhere and they do it via bike. They take their bikes, they pack up, they ride somewhere for the night and then ride home. So, yeah, has my interest. Yes, I think we're all feeling the draw. It sounds real interesting. Sounds like a good way to get out and you see a little bit more than you can on just a one day ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, do it at a pace that's kind of comfortable, kind of fun. Not really worry about speed. And see some different stuff. See more than you have before. So, uh, yeah, I I think uh, probably all three of us are interested in this book and some and learning what it might take for us to sort of 
uh, you know, break that barrier and uh, that one day, you know, get back home barrier. Mm-hmm. All right. Without Patrick here, I'm afraid that the news is up to you, Hottie. It is. Oh, I have news. Yes. Um, <laughs> let's start with, uh, you know, track cycling is not something we've gotten into a lot on this show, but I do want to take a moment here to recognize Sarah Hammer. Sarah has announced her retirement. She is the most successful female track cyclist, U.S. female track cyclist we've ever had. She's retiring from uh, racing. She's 34 now. She has four Olympic silver medals and has eight world championship titles on the track that dates back to 2006. She's going to become the director of coaching at Performance United. That's a training facility in Colorado Springs. But she earned her final world championship medal in Hong Kong uh, this spring, this past spring, April 2017, a silver in the points race. That uh, upped her tally to 15 career medals in UCI World Track Championships. In her final wow. Olympics appearance at Rio, she rode with the Team Pursuit Squad to claim silver behind Great Britain. She's also won silver in the Omnium and uh, was lucky enough to meet Sarah. She was actually supported by a club I was riding for at the time, South Bay Women. The South Bay Women are very much into the track scene. Uh, Sarah is, uh, you know, was brought up here in Southern California and really got started racing. Then she's since moved to Colorado, but she really started racing here quite a bit. We used to see her over at Carson at the track all the time. Um, and South Bay women supported her as best they could. Um, so I got to meet her once she was world champion at the time. Um, she brought her gold medal. It was very cool. And she's very reserved, just unassuming, super nice, super good person to be around. And um, in the end, I think she ended up being too. Uh, she established a uh, sense of leadership. She was a real leader for for Team USA for the ladies uh, track cycling team. She's also in a movie um, that they did about the team pursuit. I, the, the name of the movie escapes me. I'll try to remember to put it on the on the post. But uh, good good uh, movie to check out about how a team pursuit comes together. So Sarah Hammer, great career, uh, most decorated female track cyclist. He's going to call it a career. Good for uh, Another her. thing uh, from the news file, Fatty, and that comes out of Hartford, Connecticut. The city of Hartford has introduced a bicycle roadside assistance program. This is kind of like AAA for bikes. Uh, I'm a AAA member, but I don't know that the tow truck driver would come out and jumpstart my bike <laughs> if I asked him to or change my flat. <laughs> but or if I'm in Hartford, Connecticut, I could call. They have six... Uh, security ambassador, certified bike technicians. They act as a response team for stranded cyclists in need of minor repairs, like fixing a flat, changing a tire, replacing a tube, tightening loose bolts, anything beyond that, they direct you to a bike shop. But they can do the the quick stuff, the stuff that you know might catch you off guard. And the city's been doing roadside assistance for cars for 10 years. So it just kind of added, folded in this this bike program, this bike service program. Uh, with a bicycling toolkit and three spare tubes, the ambassadors kind of run around the 55-block radius of Hartford's commercial district. They help any cyclist that calls. You can call anytime between 6 a.m. at 11 p.m., Monday through Saturday. Wow. So if you're out bar hopping and you're on your bike, or 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. on Sundays, the service is completely free to both city and non-city residents. The bulk of the calls do come from, of course, uh, bike commuters. And sure. officials hoping that uh, this free program will just encourage more people, especially bike commuters, uh, to ride their bikes in the city of Hartford. So far, they've helped 42 service. cyclists. I would abuse that service so badly. I'd be like, well, that's the last time I ever carry a tube. <laughs> All right. What seat bag? I got the ambassadors. They'll come bail me out. I got a AAA card or whatever they call it there. Yeah. That's going to be the easiest way to lose half a pound off my bike ever. That's right. <laughs> I'm a terrible person. Let's move on to the pace line picks, uh, where we get to talk about some random bike-related thing we want to talk about. And mine, because uh, I'm going first this time, has to do with a couple of energy bars that I really like. You remember the first version of energy bars, Hottie? That you remember the original power bar? Yeah. You oh, can yeah. I was you can say still power get bar. those and and repair your car. <laughs> You know, with them, you can, if you get a dent or scratch in your car, you can repair those with the original power bar. I, 
it, it uh, the Crusher and the Tusher, uh, one of the things they put in the bag was the Bonk Breaker Salted Caramel Energy mm. Bar. And for a couple of months now, I guess, I've been intending to make that my paceline pick. I, I, I assume you got one in your bag as well. Have you eaten the thing? Well, oh, have I eaten it? I'll, I'll just have it for dinner. That's how good those things are. And I'm lucky enough to know somebody at Bonk Breaker, so oh. occasionally I get these things slipped in my jersey pocket, yeah. Holy cow. I, it's, I, I'm being very specific here, and I, I like others of the Bonk Breaker products as well, but the Bonk Breaker Salted Caramel Energy Bar, holy cow, they mm-hmm. have taken it to a completely different level. That is one of the best energy bars I have ever eaten. I like to have something to eat at the starting line of a big, long race. And the that is the perfect thing. It's 200 calories. It doesn't taste like the, the energy gels and energy drinks that I'm going to be consuming while I am, you know, hypoxic and breathing triple time. It's something that you chew, and they are just delicious. They are better tasting than any candy bar on the market, as far as I'm concerned. I Now, you know, full disclosure, I love any salted caramel anything. Salted caramel ice cream, favorite flavor. Salted caramel coffee, that's what I drink. It, you know, so I'm predisposed, right? But, oh man, that is just so good. And so that it doesn't come across as if I'm strictly shilling for Bonk Breaker, who doesn't know me from Adam. I also do want to say Cliff Bar's new caramel chocolate peanut butter filled um, nut butter uh, nut butter filled energy bars also really really good. Energy bars are just I mean imagine the crazy idea of having energy bars that taste really really good. My paceline pick caramel flavored energy bars from bonk breaker and from cliff kudos to both of you guys you nailed it oh so good i you know uh that's what you're going to find in my uh in my jersey pocket for the starting of big races from now on it's yet another reason you need to go to interbike because scattered about the floor are all the nutrition companies with plenty of samples including (laughs) bonk breaker they are there i bet you greg library my buddy is there waving the, the bonk breaker flag and handing out free tastings of the, the salted caramel mm. energy bar you love so much. Oh, yeah. Well, they do a good job. Good stuff. Mm. How about you? What's your paceline pick? Well, I came across something the other day from my childhood that simply amazed me, almost stunned me. I couldn't believe I still had this thing. When I was 12, I think it was 12 years old, my parents gave me a gold cross pen, ballpoint pen. Remember these things? Oh, yeah. Thin classy, elegant, it had a nice amount of weight in the hand and wrote smoothly. Oh, yeah, good heft. Yeah, nice, beautiful pen. I think I got it for a birthday present. Now, I found it in a drawer, gave it a twist, out came the ballpoint, and wouldn't you know it, the thing still wrote. Wow. Getting this pen was a big deal. My folks uh, revered products that were made with style and class, and they both gave uh, praise to the cross pen. They both had one, and they gave me one when I was 12. I knew of them before I had my own, obviously. So when I got one, well, I clearly had taken a, the next step towards adulthood. In addition to giving me this gift, my folks were clearly sending a message about my maturity, that I'd earned something made of gold and something of high quality. My sisters, both of whom were younger than me, suddenly saw me in a different light. Their big brother had a cross pen. I was cooler on a whole new level. Of course, pens have kind of lost their luster thanks to keyboards and iPhones and voice-to-text. We cut and paste and use electronic signatures or simply commit stuff to memory instead of writing things down. Taking notes by hand or writing a letter, who does that? I mean, I'm surprised the president still uses a pen to sign legislation. But here in the Hottie household, the pen lives on. In fact, I have one right here. It's a pen. Mm-hmm. My wife and I have them scattered all over the place. But the one we continually fight over, or fight for, is this free pen I got a couple years ago at Interbike from the good folks at Conix. They make the uh, famous Whipperman chains and the more famous Conix chain links. The link is actually wildly popular for its versatility, being able to use it in any brand of chain and its uh, ease of installation. You can both take it off and install it by hand without a tool. 
Their chains are also strong as hell. And what else would you expect, though, from a German company that's been making chains since the 1800s? I'm currently running two of their 11-speed chains, both of which I've terrorized by riding them during downpours and through mud puddles and in dusty conditions, and they continue to shift flawlessly. So when Connex puts its name on a pen, free or not, you better believe it's going to be a darn good one. And this one is. My wife and I have gone back and forth with this pen. She'll stuff it in her purse and take ownership for a while, and I'll snag it back and clip it on my notepad to scribble thoughts down on my next bike review. It lacks the shine and class of my old cross pen, but it works just as well. And like their chains, the Connex Comp Pen, or Free Pen, shows no signs of giving in. Look, I'm not romantic about pens in any kind of way. That whole pen is mightier than the sword thing, I, I really don't buy it. Oh sure, in a prison setting, the pen is a great weapon in the hands of an inmate with a score to settle. But in most scenarios, the sword will beat the pen like scissors beats paper. Okay, I'm getting way off base here. What I'm trying to say is <laughs> I appreciate well-made stuff, whether that be a pen or a chain or a freebie from a company looking for a little press. A little love for class and quality here. And if you're asking me what the hell this paceline pick is, well then give it up for Cross and Connex, two companies that give a crap about anything they put their name on. Uh, you're sending me back to the old days when I had a Mont Blanc pen. Mm. By the way, I looked up cross pens, um, and they are still in business. They have a Bluetooth pen now that helps you find the pen with your phone, should you put it in the wrong space. <laughs> and they make stylus pads for writing and all kinds of stuff. They have neat little films there, so they're still... Going strong, still the same classy company. Fantastic. And let's make that the final word for this episode of The Pace Line. If you haven't been to iTunes to rate and review us, please do. And if you have, thank you. We owe you a poll. For Hottie and Patrick, who is hopefully finding all kinds of great stuff for us to talk about in the next episode, I'm Fatty. You've been listening to The Pace Line. Yeah, I had a blue snowball and now I've got a blue Yeti. Okay. You thought I got something better than this? No, I'm just happy you got anything at all. <laughs> sure.